Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Almost exactly three years ago, my family moved to Waukesha and we began ministry in this place. And when we first moved to Waukesha, we didn't yet have a house to live in. We hadn't found one that we could afford that was, you know, going to still be standing after a year. And so my in-laws, who also live in Waukesha, were gracious enough to let us stay with them while we looked for a place to live. Now, by the time we found a house that we could afford that was, you know, going to be good for our family, we ended up living with my in-laws for about seven weeks. Now, I love my in-laws. I really do. They're, they're fabulous, wonderful people. My children adore them. They are fabulous, phenomenal grandparents. My wife gets along with her family very well, always has. And, of course, their home is more than adequate for six people to sleep and eat and bathe and share space and enjoy each other's company. And... At the end of seven weeks, pretty much every one of us was willing to say, that was a little bit too long. It was hard. It was unsettling, particularly for my kids who were four and one at the time. There was a lot of transition going on in their lives. And it was just hard because it felt like we weren't at home. Even though this was the house that my wife grew up in, it wasn't our space. It wasn't our home, and it felt really unsettled. Well, this morning we hear the story of King David, and it begins, our reading today begins by saying that King David had settled into his house, and the Lord had given him rest. And that's what a home is all about. A home is not just a shelter, it's a place where you can settle down, where you can rest, where you can be refreshed. A little bit of historical background here. We are at the point where King David, through sheer force of will and wisdom and military acuity, has been able to bring the 12 disparate tribes of Israel into one united kingdom. And they conquered a little town on the top of a mountain, and they called it Jerusalem, and they set it up as their capital. And so finally, after Many, many, many years of wandering and many, many years of conflict. Finally, God's people have a place to settle in and to rest. And David builds himself a house. A house made of the famous, beautiful cedars of Lebanon. A house fit for a king. For indeed, he was the first real king of Israel. And it got me thinking... What does it look like for us to settle in, to have a home, to find rest? That's one of the things that separates us from all the other animals. Is it's not just a shelter that we seek, a place to keep out of the rain, but a, a place where we can feel safe, a place where we can really settle, where we can be with the people we love, where we can have real rest. There's a difference between a house and a home. And yet, throughout the world, there are so many people who are homeless, who don't have that 
place to call their own, a place where they feel at rest, where they feel at home. There are literally thousands of people living right among us, our neighbors here and throughout the world, who have no place to rest their heads, whose entire life's possessions can fit into one grocery sack, and they sleep on benches and under bridges and in shelters when it gets too cold, if they're lucky. But it's not just those folks who are literally homeless, shelterless. There are so many other ways for people to feel as though they have no home. People for whom the place that they live is no longer home because it's no longer safe. This is, uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And it is a good as time as any, and yet I think the whole year is a good time to be reminded that so many of our neighbors are not safe in their own homes. If you drive downtown by the Women's Center of Waukesha, you'll see a field of life-size purple cutouts of people with dates inscribed on them, the dates when they died at the hands of people who were supposed to love them, their partners, their spouses, their parents. There are so many of our neighbors for whom house is not home because it's not safe. I know lots of folks whose houses once felt like home, but now they can't afford the mortgage anymore. They've gotten in over their head, and that place where once they felt they could rest is a place where they can no longer sleep because they're tossing and turning night after night, wondering how they're going to pay all the bills. Folks who, who left home perhaps to go to college or, or maybe at some other time in their upbringing and their parents got a divorce and suddenly that house is half the home it once was, if even that. And kids who mustered up the courage to share their true selves with their families, with their parents, to, to tell them they were gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender and, and the family just wasn't ready for that. And suddenly they were dislocated. They felt like they didn't have a a place anymore. That the home where they grew up feeling like they were loved is now a place where it doesn't feel like that anymore. Or maybe they actually were kicked out, which often happens. And more often than not, those kids end up homeless, literally themselves. There are so many different ways in which people can find themselves Homeless, without a place to rest, to settle, to be at home. And it's such a crucial aspect of what it means to be a human being, to have that kind of place to call home. Which is why it's so intriguing to me that when David asks God, offers God to provide for God that which David has provided for himself, a place to call home. When David offers to build God a home to settle down and to rest, God's first response is, you know what, I'm actually pretty cool camping. I've been in a tent for a long time and it's fine. I never asked you for a house to live in. Why not? Why doesn't God deserve what the king or what so many of us want and feel like we deserve for ourselves? Well, on the one hand, I think 
God's initial response has something to do with how God is in the world and where God is in the world. You see, the challenge with houses is that they have walls, and most of the time they stay in one place, which means if God has a house to live in, it's kind of a box where we always know where God can be found, a box that keeps God in a place where we can control and understand and predict. Now, that's not exactly who God wants to be for us. This is not a God who longs to be controlled by you. It works the other way around. And so for us to build God a house challenges the very nature of our relationship because this isn't a God who stays put, who can be tamed. I have a dear friend who's a pastor in Texas, and she likes to say, mostly tongue-in-cheek, that the worst thing the church ever did was lay the first brick. Now she's kidding, sort of. But what she means, of course, is that when you build a building to put God in, it invites all kinds of conflict and idolatry. Because now you've got to fight over who's going to take care of those bricks. What color is the carpet going to be? How often will the doors be unlocked? Who do we let in? Who do we keep out? How much are we going to invest in that building, in those bricks? And what does that say about our faith as an active living presence of God's proclamation of good news in the world? being sent outside the building to serve our neighbors. How many church buildings do you know of? Big, beautiful, wonderfully well-maintained buildings, and thank God for that. But how many church buildings do you know that sit empty six days out of the week, essentially empty, in a world where countless people have no place to lay their heads? So what does that mean for us and for our God? But I think it goes beyond that too. Because God knows full well that while in that particular moment when David offered to build God a house, the people were relatively safe and settled. It was one of the very, very brief moments in Israel's history when they're essentially doing okay. But God knew full well that that wasn't going to last very long. They were not going to be a settled and peaceful and well-housed and homed people forever. That indeed, God's people would find themselves homeless often and fairly soon. Indeed, David's grandsons hated each other and they're going to fight each other and they're going to lead to a civil war and the country, the kingdom will be divided into two, which is going to leave them vulnerable to all their neighbors, and very soon, very soon, they will succumb to the forces of empire. When God allows David's son to finally build a house for God to live in, Solomon's beautiful temple up on a hill, well, it's going to be destroyed, and all Jerusalem with it, not once, but twice. And after the second time, never to be rebuilt again. 
Indeed, God knows that the most formative times in Israel's history have been the times when Israel has not been settled or at peace or at rest or housed or in a given place where they could stay. The promise was first given to Abraham and Sarah while they were camping at the Oaks of Mamre when God plucked them out of obscurity and said, I choose you to bless the world. The most important historical event for the people of Israel when they really emerged as God's children was when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, being bound in chains in a foreign land and then carried to to wander for 40 years in the desert. The covenant, the promise that God made is signed, sealed, and delivered on Mount Sinai when God gives them the law while the people are camping down the hill. And indeed, Israel's theological and scriptural, biblical foundation is formed most significantly when they are in exile in Babylon, a thousand miles from home. God knows full well that God's people will often find themselves homeless. And so maybe God needed to be homeless too. Maybe God needed to be without a house, a box to be kept in, so that God would always be free to go and find God's people wherever they were homeless. To go to Egypt, to go to Babylon, to go into the desert, to go wherever it is that you find yourselves as a people, as a nation, as a church, as families, as individuals, wherever it is that you are dislocated, where you are out of home, where you are homeless, God is free to go find you. We don't go to God, we don't go find God in the box where we've kept God in up on the hill. God comes to us. Whenever and wherever we have found ourselves out of home, out of place. This is the promise into which you were washed in the waters of baptism. This is the gift of a movable feast. A meal of bread and wine that can be shared anywhere where people pray, break bread, and exchange the gift of peace. It's that ours is a God who is on the move, constantly. Able to find you wherever you are whether you have chosen or whether you have been forced to find yourself out of place, hidden from view, left out, God sees you. And God is free to find you and to bring you home. And God will, always and forever, God will bring you home. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.